with Hashem's loving grace. Welcome to our shiur, our weekly shiur Thursday night shiur in Likutei Moran, hosted by our wonderful sponsors, Torch, Torch, that light lighthouse of outreach in Southwest United States, and uh, Torch General Rabbi Arya Wolby in particular. Uh, Rav Arya, thank you so much. It's an honor to be to co- cooperate with you and to, to play ball on the Torch team. Bor Hashem. Uh, we are about to begin a very important Torah in the first section of Likutei Moran, Torah 7, Torah Zayin. Okay, and this is, uh, it's called Ela Mishpatim. This is one of Rebbe Nachman's cardinal Torahs. We're about to see why, because it's all about Emuna. Now, just to preface, uh, in Breast of Thought, there are five Siddiquim that carry the soul of Moses. The first is Moses himself. And then what did Moses do? Moses brought down the written Torah from Mount Sinai. He got it right from Hashem. And then Moses passed the baton onto Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And what was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's nuance? He brought down the esoteric Torah, the Zohar. And then Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai passed the baton of the soul of Moses onto the Holy Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchak Ari Ashkenazi, Ari Ashkenazi. And his nuance was that he brought down the Torah of Kabbalah, the inner, inner Torah. And then he passed the baton onto the Holy Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov's nuance that he brought down the Torah of Hasidus, the Hasidic movement, serving Hashem in joy. And that before, there was a time in Judaism where Judaism was very much an elitist movement. There were 2% Torah scholars and 98% uh, wagon masters and water schleppers. And it was very much elitist. And the, the, the common people were down on what Baal Shem Tov did. He raised up the common people. So this, everyone is a beloved daughter and a beloved son in Hashem's eyes. And he showed them how to find their own worth in doing what they're capable of doing praying, saying psalms, serving Hashem in innocence and joy. And the Hasidic movement serves Hashem in innocence and in joy. And that doesn't, no sacrifice, no sacrifice on uh, on Torah scholarship. As you can see, there are many great Torah scholars amongst the Hasidim, amongst the Hasidic rabbis, no sacrifice. But then the Baal Shem Tov passed it on, the baton onto the fifth carrier of the soul of Moses. And this was his great-grandson, Rebbe Nachman of Breslev. Rabbi Nachman Bresla was born in the in the uh, secular calendar, seventeen seventy two, and he died at a young age in eighteen ten during the time of Napoleon. And something very interesting: both Rabbi Nachman and the Arizal died at a young age of thirty eight. But they just go to show you what a magnificent amount of uh, accomplishments a person could do in a short life if a person doesn't waste time. And it served every single moment. Rabbi Nachman said, if there was a day that he couldn't get closer to Hashem, that day wasn't worth living. And when he finally got so high, okay, the, the apparent reason is that he had tuberculosis. But he finally got so high where a human body, a soul inside a human body couldn't get any closer to Hashem. He says, I can't get any closer to Hashem and it's not worth living. And that's when the turkey, tuberculosis took him over. And uh, this was... Uh, this was in in 1810, according to the Hebrew calendar, was the, during Holomoid Sukkot on the 18th of Tishrei. So Rabbi Nachman, what's his nuance? Rabbi Nachman brings down the Torah of Amunah. And that's why the bulk of our teachings are based on, on Rabbi Nachman and what we learned, all our Amunah books. They've got Rabbi Nachman's fingerprints all over it. Rabbi Nachman took that. Rabbi Nachman really said, he says, I, I didn't make any nuance. I just took things that were high up in the air and were not at eye level and brought them down at eye level. So Rebbe Nachman is the par excellence of the Hasidic rabbi who bringing the Torah of Emunah to Master where anybody can go to Hashem. Now Rebbe Nachman had another nuance. Uh, why are the, uh, those of us, the students of Rebbe Nachman, uh, were very close with the Noahides because Rebbe Nachman himself he brought all of humanity close to Shem. Okay, yes, he was a Hasidic rabbi, he was a Jewish rabbi, but Rabbi Nachman brought all of humanity because Rabbi Nachman teaches us that Emunah is for all of humanity. And that's it. The Emunah is the first, it's not only the first of the Ten Commandments, it's the first Noahide commandment. 
and it's for all of us. So here we are in one of Rabbi Nachman's famous Torahs about Emuna, and I'm going to take it slow. Uh, we're not racing against time. We just want to learn this in depth because a lot of talk about Emuna. Okay, so what we're learning tonight is the base, the synopsis that Amuna is above nature, and that prayer is also above nature and defies nature. Both Amuna and prayer, they defy nature because they're above nature. Nature is way below them. Uh, Amuna and prayer are one entity. Okay, they're actually one. In other words, a person says, oh, yeah, I believe in Hashem, I believe in Hashem, but uh, the barometer of Amuna, if you believe in Hashem, you'll talk to him is the amount of discourse that a person has with Hashem. Because a person believes in Hashem, you talk to Hashem. And by prayer, prayer brings a person closer to Hashem and closer to Hashem, closer to Hashem. Last night in Amuna hour, we had a, a, a little uh, parable that said that, okay, if you want to lean on a wall, you have to be close to the wall. And by the same token, if you want to lean on Hashem, you have to get close to Hashem. How does one get close to Hashem? Well, even if you talk to a secular relationship psychologist, he said the things that connect two people together are speech communication. So what connects us to Hashem is speech communication. We speak to Hashem all the time, all the time, all the time. And if we could have a time to set aside a special time to talk to Hashem, that, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Rabbi Nachman says an hour a day, but we, we try whatever, whatever we can. So what happens with Amuna and prayer? Since Amuna and prayer are above nature, Okay, nature, down below nature dictates there's a natural course of events. And we have laws of nature, laws of physics, that gravity. If you throw something up, it's going to fall down. That, that's, the law of, that's, the, that's the law of nature. And Muna takes us above nature. Now, below nature, a doctor may say there's no cure to this particular disease. That's below nature. But Emuna and prayer, they defy nature. So since a miracle is above nature, and Amuna and prayer are above nature, then Amuna and prayer, for them, miracles is natural because they're on the same level of miracles. This is above nature and this is above nature. Okay, so they're in the same neighborhood. So if a person lives on a plane of Amuna above nature and lives on a plane of prayer and he's dependent on prayer, then for him or for her, nature doesn't dictate anything. Nature doesn't matter. And this is so, so important because there are so many things that can really bring a person down. If a person lives in Israel today and reads the news, it would be like tying two 100-pound blocks of concrete to each foot and pulling it right down. Okay, so the only way to stay up is with the Muna. Hey, wait a second. I will buy my Gemara, and the Gemara says everything that my Gemara says is happening right now. And this is the precursor of the Gula, of the full redemption of our people. Now, who's going to do that? That's Hashem. Okay, so I don't care what the government does, and I don't care what the enemy does. I don't care what this domino, what this was. I do my basic thing. If the siren goes off, I got to go to the shelter, and if someone attacks me, I have to take up arms. I do the basic what I have to do. But it's all up to Hashem. It's all up to Hashem, because if Hashem wants above nature, I mean, if the lack of weapon, don't have to take a broom, and the broom will shoot. <laughs> if Hashem wants anything, it happens. It's, it all depends on our Muna. It's going to learn. So we start off with something that sounds cryptic. Uh, Rabbi Nachman starts off, Lashon Rabbeinu, Rabbi Natan. He says specifically, since Rabbi Natan, he was the scribe of Rabbi Nachman and his prime disciple. Whenever he's saying something in Rabbi Nachman's exact language, he says, Lashon Rabbeinu. Okay, this is, uh, this is the Rabbi Nachman himself talking. He says, uh, This is uh, from Exodus chapter 21. These are the laws that you place before them. Okay, these are the laws that Rabbi Nachman is going to teach us some innermost aspects of that. Okay, we see what's that got to do with the Muna? Well, then right away, uh, it quotes our sages and says, Our sages said that a woman was comparable to a man. Hey, what, what are we learning here? Well, they're talking about monetary law. Have to know that this is the answer to all the chauvinists in Judaism. Women have the exact same rights. A woman can sue a man for monetary damages or anything damages. The only difference between, in, in other words, in, in monetary law and civil law, woman is the same as a man. But when it comes to something like tzitzit 
or tefillin or specific mitzvahs of a man, that's already the religious side. There's difference between a woman and a man because a woman, she is exempt from mitzvot that are limited by time. For example, tefillin is done during the day. It's not during at night. It's done during the week. And it's not during in Shabbat. There's a time-limited mitzvah. Well, maybe you can ask, well, Shabbat is also a time-limited mitzvah. Well, why are why do women have to keep it? But this is one of the exceptions, for example, because women, they're also required to rest on Shabbat. Since Hashem rested from creation, this is one of the mitzvot. And even though it's time-oriented, it's for men and women. But for most of the laws, all the civil laws, it's complete equality. And this is what the Gemara is, is telling us, not what people think that's it's a show, chauvinistic. And then uh, Rabbi Nachman brings a midrash, that maybe the students are learning Torah, but they don't understand. Talmud Lomar, from there you know, so a teacher should prepare his lesson and give it to the students just like a set table. In other words, when you invite somebody to dinner, you don't put raw meat on the table. Or you don't put uh, vegetables that have to be cooked, let's say uncooked vegetables on the table. Is it is cooked? You serve a cooked meal. And this thing with, with the table is set and there's cutlery on the table and there's plates on the table and there's cups on the table. This is what we have to bring our students as if the table is set and put that. It's what we say. It's like you say in English, spoon feeding. You spoon feed your students. You take what you think, teach right to it and on a level that they can understand. So uh, we say this, and what has to do, Rabbi, Rabbi Natan, he right away makes a comment in his commentary on Torah 7. Uh, he says, this is a little bit cryptic. Why Rabbi Nachman started with this? Because now Rabbi Nachman leaves this particular passage in Torah. These are the laws that you set before them, that uh, Hashem told Moses in chapter 21 of Exodus. These are the laws of Torah before them. And now he leaves that. He talks about something else. But at the end of Torah 7, we will see why Rabbi Nachman began with this passage. So we're now in Ot Aleph. We're now in letter Aleph. And Rabbi Nachman says, Da. Whenever Rabbi Nachman says, Da, that is a big, you put up our antennas and listen. Because Da means you should know. When Rabbi Nachman says, you should know, you should know this and you should know that. To take every preface, every single sentence with Da, Da. No, this is something special. When Rabbi Nachman says, Da, He's talking about a divine truth. Everything he teaches divine truth, but this is a special divine truth. Now, what is the significance of these two letters, Dalit and Ayin? When we see a mezuzah, and on a mezuzah is written our declaration of faith, a declaration of Muna, the greatest declaration of Torah, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema is here. Listen, Shema, when you write the mezuzah, a ceremonial scribe who's called a sofer stam, a ceremonial scribe has to write the ayin and the Shema four times letter than the, four times bigger than the other letters. And when he says echad, have to emphasize the echad, the Shem is one, and he writes the dalid also four times bigger. So we have this mezuzah, two oversized letters, the ayin and the dalid. So what's the significance of this? The significance of Ayin and Dalit is forever, that this is a truth forever. And if we turn it around, it becomes the word Da. You should know that this is from Das, the third sphere, Chachma, Bina, the Das. And this is one of Rabbi Nachman. So whenever Rabbi Nachman says Da, we got to listen very carefully. Now, Rabbi Nachman is going to give us a principle that we live at every moment today. And we can see why he said Da. Ikal agalut that our exodus, our diaspora, that we got kicked out of the land of Israel and spread out amongst all the nations of the world, it was because of a lack of emuna. A lack of emuna, and he brings us, where do we learn this from? King Solomon, the wisest of all men, he said this is Shir Shirim, Tavoy Tashuri Mirosh Amana, which really means come gaze from the peak of emuna. From the peak of Emunah, the, what's the peak of Emunah? The peak of Emunah is the land of Israel. The land of Israel, the Gemara in Shratek Tubot says, this is the land of Emunah. Because here, why is the land of Israel the land of Emunah? The Torah says in Deuteronomy, the Torah says, Ki Hashem al Eretz Yisrael ad 
that the eyes of Hashem are on the land of Israel from the beginning of the year until the end of the year. So wait a second, the eyes of Hashem are everywhere. Okay, Hashem is everywhere, all the time, anywhere. But because of the holiness, because of the holiness, the land of Israel has a special holiness. So what Hashem delegates, many day-to-day mundane responsibilities to the minister. The minister, that's the administering angel. The UK has an administering angel. And South Africa has an administering angel. And USA has an administering angel. And Germany's got one. And France have one. And all the Arab countries have one. And the Eskimos have one. And Antarctica has got another one. Canada's got one. Every country, every country has an administering angel. Except for land of Israel. They have an archangel. But the archangel... He doesn't take care of business. Hashem personally takes care of business. That's what the Torah is telling us, that the eyes of Hashem are on the land of Israel from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Now hold it. This is with every privilege, there's a responsibility. Uh, this is a big privilege that Hashem is looking after you personally all year long. But uh, you better polish your buttons. But <laughs> You have to be, this is in honor guard. Because you're in, it's it's like uh, take uh, one of the what do they call these British honor guards in Buckingham Palace? That they, we call them, they let they wear spudics like the Gerach Hasidim. Okay, the, the high fur hats. Okay, uh-huh. they are not in the pub in East London when they're off duty. No, in Buckingham Palace, their spot, their behavior is impeccable. So just like these guys are ramrod straight and they're stern, and they don't say a word. And they act exactly according to the book. This is they're in the because they're in the palace of the king. They're in the palace of king. Now, if you have to act that way in the palace of King George, what do you do in the palace of the King of Kings, the Almighty? And this is what happens. So in the what our honor guard is emunah, then with the shem. Because not to have emunah is a person making declaration that he doesn't recognize the king. What that, that that's so rebellious. That's terrible. And because of this lack of amuna, that is what caused the diaspora. And these, you can see the, the, the prophets, they yell all about it from the beginning of prophecies, the end of prophecies. Isaiah yells about it. Ezekiel yells about it. Jeremiah, he can't stop yelling about it. But uh, they were politically incorrect at the time that the, the government, the kings were even uh, off, off track in amuna. And that's why they were exiled, they were exiled to Babylon. Uh, and so when they didn't like what the Jeremiah said, they threw him in jail. But that doesn't mean it's not true. That doesn't mean it's not true. That they were they were courageous and they spoke the word of Hashem. So Rabbi Nachman now tells us, Emunah is synonymous with prayer. They're inseparable. You can't have prayer without Emunah. And you can't have Emunah without prayer. And people wonder why the prayer is not answered. Well, the prayers are usually not answered because of a lack of Emunah, number one. Number two, where a person doesn't believe in the power of his or her prayers. And number three, that they don't believe that Hashem hears them or that Hashem will even answer them. And this is a blemish and emunah. So it's prayer is also so important and, 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 and is so important with emunah and emunah in the land of Israel. It's about the sea. And where do we learn this from? Onkelos, he translates in the Aramaic translation of Torah, Onkelos was one of our Tanaic sages. And when it says about Moses, when Moses was standing on the mountain and the Israelites were fighting Amalek, when Moses lifted his hands to Hashem, they prevailed. When his hands became tired and he fell, they were losing. So what happened, Aaron and Hur, his brother and his nephew, they had to support his hands with rocks under the hands so his hands would be up. And that's what the Torah says, they didn't say, the Torah doesn't say that Moses' hands were uplifted. The Torah says that Moses' hands were emunah. And Uncle says, Rashi translates this, that Moses' hands were uplifted in prayer. So we have the aspect of uplifting in prayer and emunah. It's the same thing. Because to uplift our hands in prayer and to have emunah, the prayer is not effective without emunah. And emunah is lip service if a person doesn't pray. Oh, yeah, believe in my heart. You can't believe not in your heart. We have to believe and from head to toe. Okay, so we continue on. 
Rebbe Nachman now tells us something. He tells us what, what league we're playing in. And he says, Wow. I can explain this. Rabbi Nachman says like this. He says that miracles, as we all know, they're above nature. They're supernatural. Okay, you don't have miracles according to nature because there's natural process. If there's natural process, there's natural process. There's gravity and you throw the rock up and the rock falls. But to defy gravity, the person throws the rock up and the rock keeps on going higher. That's above nature. That's defying nature. It's the same thing with spiritual gravity, which is above nature. Just as material gravity brings things down, spiritual gravity lifts up. And we indicate that. Look at a candle. A candle is still physicality, but is the most sublime physicality. And you can see a candle. Why doesn't the, on the wick, you have this flame on the wick. Why does the wick fall down? Why does the candle fall down? No, it's flickering up. Now, if you take a bigger candle or a bigger fire, the small candle molds into the bigger candle. Then this is what King Solomon tells us, Neil Hashem Nishmas Adam, that the candle uh, of Hashem, this is the human soul. The human soul yearns to get up to Hashem, yearns to go up, yearns to go up. When we uplift the soul in Emunah, the soul goes up. It's not the body. <laughs> if the body jumps off, uh, a body goes to the swimming pool in the summer and the body jumps off the diving board, it's going to go down into the water. It's not going to go up. It's going to fly like an F-16. Not so much the soul. When the soul opens up a prayer book, opens up a book of Psalms and begins speaking to Hashem, the soul goes up and up and up. The prayers go up and up and up. They defy gravity. They go past the ionosphere, past the stratosphere, all the way up to the heavenly throne. And this is why prayer and emunah, okay, they're, they're above nature. They're above nature. And this is what Rabbi Nachman also says. Since they are above nature, they have the capability of changing nature. I cannot begin to tell you how many times we've seen this. And in my own life, even way before, uh, you know, a long time ago, one time when I, when I was a, uh, a rabbinical student and I had just finished my, my first rabbinical ordination, and I was going on for my second one. And I got a call from my sister to come home immediately to America. Why? She says, uh, yeah, dad's dying. You, if you want to see dad, you got to come home. Right? The doctor, doctors give him three weeks to live. I said, what do you mean three weeks to live? He had four types of the nasty big C. <laughs> Talking cancer. We don't like to say that word. The six letter. In Hebrew, we don't say four letter words. There's six letter words. It begins with C and R. But he had four types. He had it in his lung. He had it in his blood marrow, and they were transfusing his blood. He couldn't; his, his body was kicking off the blood transfusions, and he had it in his shoulder, inside the bone, and uh, he had it in in his backbone. He was in a bad way, and doctors say if he makes it past three weeks, he's lucky. But six weeks, no way. I mean, six weeks, no way. So right away, what are you doing, in Muna? What do we do? What do we do? We go to do we go to a tzaddik. Rabbi Nachman will talk about the importance of, of a tzaddik. Uh, this past week was Baba Sali's Yortzai. Baba Sali had a secret student that few people know about him. His name was Rabbi Abram Fish, and he lived in Tel Aviv. You look at this guy, Rabbi Abram Fish. He's not alive anymore. Zechot Sadik Levocha. But he looked like a, maybe a butcher from the market, a little short guy. And he had a, his shirt had tobacco stains on it. He used to smoke and chew tobacco. And, and every, his home was open to every down and outer in Tel Aviv. He'd had drug addicts sleeping on the floor. He had down and adders. He had homeless people. And he had his wife. His wife, she was a really righteous woman. They had cauldrons on the fire, like army-sized cauldrons, and they would feed dozens of people on Shabbat. These were hidden tzaddikim. Well, he was a hidden tzaddik of Baba Sally. And he made himself like the simplest. He looked like maybe a, a I don't know, some kind of cab driver. If you a cab driver, you wouldn't go in, want to go in his cab because you wouldn't like to take the tobacco stains on his shirt. Well, I went to see Rabbi Fish and I made a point to know, okay, Rabbi, don't, don't play. We know who you are. We think we know who you are. Rabbi, I got a big problem. The doctors say my dad's got three to six weeks to live. And 
he's got this cancer and this cancer and this cancer, this called L4, and he can't get blood transfusions anymore. So the Rabbi Fish asked me, he says, well, what are you, what are you studying? I said, well, yesterday, yesterday I got more ordination. I now just study, I have one more test and I had one more test to finish to become a rabbi of a city. It's called kosher. And he says, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to, that's not your job. You're not supposed to be rabbi of a city. He says, tomorrow you drop the, it's like a master's degree rabbinical. You drop that and you start learning Gemara from the very first page. Brachot Beit Amadalev. And I give your father a blessing that all his diseases should go in the fish of the sea and he'll live a good long time. Okay. So they went, oh, that's it. It was amazing. It was amazing. So I, I gave him some charity and left. I think I, I didn't eat the fish for a year after that because the, he said he sent my father's diseases to the fish of the sea. I said, well, maybe the, the fish, you know, they got my father. I didn't, but about a year till I delayed fish again. <laughs> so went home and I called long distance back to America. Well, my sister and I said, I'm not coming. She said, what do you mean you're not coming? She says, Pop's not going anywhere. And happened big miracles. Big miracles, all of a sudden, the, the, the blood came off. And he had to have a half a lung removed. He had to have a shoulder replacement. And he had an operation on his back. But he lived for another nine and a half years. And he lived to see his first grandson born. This is prayer. This is the power of prayer. This is the power of tzaddik. This is the power when you, when you believe in a tzaddik, you believe in your prayers, you believe in, in what to do, the tzaddik and what to do. This is what we do. And see, I can tell stories like this all night long where doctors said a person has so much time to live. Excuse me, uh, Mr. Physician, Miss Physician, my Gemara in Tractate, in Tractate Psachim says that Hashem holds the three keys. He says the three keys of life, in, life and death, income, and soulmate. Nobody get those keys. Nobody can determine your soulmate. It's Hashem decides your soulmate. Okay, so if a person's not happy in marriage, complain to Hashem, first of all. Okay, true. And if a, a person in, in income, I would complain to Hashem. I pray, you should check yourself. But life and death, it's all it's all due to Hashem. So the doctors, I always have arguments with the doctors. Why discourage people? Give them hope. Say, you know, you know, there's always hope. There's always the chance. There's always a chance you're going to beat it. You have to give the patient the emuna that is above nature. And this we never, never, ever depress people and to tell them what, what the odds are according to nature. No, it's above nature. Say this psalm and do this and take upon take upon a, a commitment not to talk bad about anybody. Do something to get you closer to Hashem. By getting you close to Hashem, that brings you higher and higher and higher above the constraints of nature and it brings you close to Hashem. Hashem told this to Abraham. Abraham was a master astrologist. Abraham went out and he looked at the scars, at the stars, and his at that time his name was Abram, and his wife's name was Sari. And he looked up in the stars and he gazed the stars and he saw the kind, he knew exactly the movements of stars, exactly when he was born. And he says, There is no way in the world that Abram is going to have children. And there is no way in the world that Sari is going to have children. Hashem intervened in Abram's horoscope. And he says, say med stiganuchva. He said, get out of your horoscope. Get out of your stargazing. I don't need your stargazing. Yes, under nature, that's it. But we're going to take you above nature. And Hashem gave Abram a letter from his name, hey, and made it Abraham. And Abram won't have kids, but Abraham will have kids because Abraham has a letter of Hashem's name in his letter, and it brought him up. The same thing with Sari. Sari became Sarah. Sari won't have kids, but Sarah will have kids. And we're all proof that that blessing, it's above state. Hashem told Abraham, get out of nature, go above the stars. Forget about nature, don't let it. Because what happens with nature? For example, the lawyer says there's no way you're going to win this case. The CPA says there's no way that you're going to pay a... 100,000 in back taxes. The doctor says there's no way to live longer. They're all talking about statistics. They're all talking about nature. We care nothing about nature. We are Amuna people and we care nothing about nature. We have Amuna, we have prayer, we have a Shem. And we have a Shem 
It takes above nature. Why? Rabbi Nachman says exactly why. Because if we need a miracle, for a miracle, we need a muna, because a miracle is above nature. And a muna takes us past the gravity. They say it's like just a rocket supercharges to go past Earth's gravity. And a muna supercharges us where we go past the pull of nature. And we go above the pull of nature. That part of Emunah is when we believe that there is an originator with the power to originate as he sees fit. And don't forget, don't forget the name for nature, the name for nature has a numerical value of 86, which is named Elohim. Elohim is the name of stern judgment. Elohim is below nature. Hashem, Yud Kevavke, is above nature. So why Elohim, this is Hashem's concealment in the world, because who made the law of gravity? That's Hashem. That's one of Hashem's laws. Who put the stars and the constellations in their orbit? That's Hashem. Okay. Who made the uh, uh, law of relativity? That's Hashem. Okay. All of all the laws of physics, all the laws of chemistry, all of, it's all Hashem. It's all Hashem. It's all Hashem. And, and they're true. And that's why if somebody's going to learn in university, I always encourage them to learn natural sciences. You're going to go to university? Okay, learn chemistry, learn physics, learn biology. Uh, but if you learn biology, don't learn Darwin. Okay, learn learn, learn, learn physiology. Okay, but social sciences? Social sciences, it's uh, all above. The social science, they, they hold no truth. Because social science, to understand social science, you can't understand social science without understanding that there's a body and a soul. For example, if you have a psychotherapist or a psychologist or a sociologist that denies the divine soul within a person, what can they do? It's like a Mitsubishi mechanic that's denying that there's an engine under the hood. How are you going to fix the car? You can't do anything. Okay, so this is uh, this is even though a person learns natural sciences with Amuna, we go way beyond that. Now, Rebbe Nachman, he had all of natural science in, in his hand. He knew, he knew all the secrets. Well, you see this movie. We saw this in, in previous Torahs when Rebbe Nachman talks about what happens to the heart when a person is under pressure. Rebbe Nachman, he knew the heart better than cardiologists did. You can see this uh, now in, in the last two generations ago, the Shatzarov, the Melitzer Rebbe's grandfather in London. He knew all the secrets of physics. He once went to a, an uh, astronomy exhibit in Heidelberg. And he saw that there was a mistake, a, a, a two-second mistake in the orbit of the, the earth around the sun. He mentioned them. They say, oh, uh, Rabiner, they said to him in German, what, what university did he go to? Never went to university in his life. Everything was from the knowledge of Torah, the knowledge of Maimonides. Maimonides was also one of the greatest physicians that ever lived. Maimonides didn't learn in university. All his knowledge came from Torah. And he was also, he was also the personal physician of Saladin. Okay, so now Rabbi Nachman continues. So we said that uh, a person that holds on to Emuna, that uh, he's connected above nature, and with above nature, Hashem does with nature. Nature's a twin in Hashem's hands. Hashem wants to use it, use it. Hashem does want to use it, don't use it. We all see miracles in our lives, things that are so unlikely, and all of a sudden they happen. You can never believe they happen, but they do. Go a step further. Next paragraph, Rabbi Nachman says, Ikra Muna, Prinat Fila, Prinat Nisim, Eno Ela Be'eretz Yisrael. We mentioned in our, pre in our preface that the main point of a Muna, where do you find a Muna? Where do you find miracles? Where do you find prayer? In the land of Israel. That doesn't mean that there's not a Muna and prayer outside the land of Israel. Because when a person is connected with Hashem and connected to Amuna, he connects to an aspect of Eretz Yisrael. Because Amuna is like an aspect of Eretz Yisrael. On the contrary, if a person is here in Israel and he's not connected to Amuna, then it's like he's in uh, he's in Uganda or in uh, the Ivory Coast or or somewhere far, far away, Madagascar. He did not okay to be in it, and, and it's even worse. It's better to be in Madagascar without a Muna than it is to be in Israel without a Muna, because that is like being in the king's palace uh, with muddy shoes. 
or with a soiled shirt. And that, to understand all current events, understand all the problems that Israel has in the international arena, is all because of this. Because of the blemish of Amunah in the land of Israel. There cannot be a blemish of Amunah in the land of Israel and people have it hunky-dory. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. So we see, I mean, Alma says it's right here. Now, we learn this from King David says this in Psalm 37. He says, Shechen eretz He says, if you lend in the last of Israel, you're like in a pasture of emunah. You're like a sheep, just like a sheep is eating grass in the pasture. Living in Eretz Yisrael, living in the land of Israel is like being a sheep in a pasture where the air you breathe, it's like eating the grass, but the, it's, the air is full of emunah. The Gomorrah Tractate Ketubot says this, that the of air, the atmosphere of Eretz Yisrael, it makes a person smarter in Torah. There are many young men that they did succeed in yeshivas outside of land of Israel. They come to land of Israel and all of a sudden they had big success. And this is the secret why. And Because Rabbi Nachman says, what was King David referring to? He says, the land of Israel is where the prayers ascend. So even if you pray, from America, you pray from the UK, you pray from South Africa, you pray from Canada, your prayers migrate over to the land of Israel, and they go up from the land of Israel. Where they go up from? From the Western Wall, Western where the Holy Temple is. Okay, so this quintessence of faith, the quintessence of emuna, and prayer and miracles right here in the land of Israel. And once again, that uh, that behooves us. Because this is where you put Amuna. It's like cultivating Amuna. We, we plant Amuna and Amuna grows, grows wherever we go. And so uh, what did Jacob in Bethel, when Jacob was on the way to Aram, on the way when he was fleeing his brother and he went to get married to marry one of his uh, nieces or his cousins, one, one of the family in Aram in Syria, and he had a stopover. And the first time he slept in 14 years, because he learned 14 years Torah straight. First, when he left his father Isaac's house, he learned for 14 years with Shem and Aver and their yeshiva. And then he continued on to know it's not time to get married. So he made a stopover in Bethel. He made a stopover in a place where the Holy of Holies would be. And he slept there. And all the rocks of Eretz, the, the Midrash tells us that all the rocks of Eretz Yisrael they were a pillow under his head. And he said, he dreamt. And this is where he saw the ladder, this Jacob's ladder, the angels going up and down. And when he saw that ladder, he said, this place is the gate of heaven. This is Shalashamayim. This is the gate of heaven. So from there, we learn that Rabbi Shimon Bar learns in the Zohar. From that utterance of our forefather Jacob, we learn that the land of Israel is the place where prayers ascend. Okay, so what is the significance of that? Rabbi Nachman explains. Rabbi Nachman explains. If we take Abraham, the first monotheist, Abraham was the father of Amuna, but Hashem judges that Sadiqim so exactly, not with a fine tooth comb, with a micromillimeter. Okay. And so when, before, before Isaac was born, and Hashem promised Abraham that he's going to inherit, his offspring is going to inherit the land of Israel. And he says, how do I know Hashem? Ooh. <laughs> he said, b'meida. Hashem, he says, yodoateida. He said, I'm going to know Hashem. Oh, you're going to know. Because of that utterance, that caused the exodus to Egypt. Because of that utterance, and this was for someone else, it would be a mitzvah. For Abraham, it was a blemish in Amunah. When he questioned Hashem's promise, how do I, how am I going to know Hashem? How do I know that you're going to keep your promise? How do I know this is true? Okay, Hashem, you'll find out. Abe says, Abraham, you'll find out. Uh, your offspring are going to go down to Egypt. And in Egypt, they will learn Amunah. And nobody's going to ask questions. Because when it comes time to leave Egypt, we'll leave Egypt. So this questioning Hashem in the slightest. Once again, we're talking about Abraham. We're talking about it's a big difference whether an F-16 makes a one-minute 
mistake in navigation or a donkey or a mule makes a one minute mistake in navigation. Okay, if a donkey makes a one minute mistake in navigation, it's gonna be one street away from where you wanna go. If an F-16 makes <laughs> one, it could be the difference between uh, uh, Tel Aviv and Damascus, it's, it, it's terrible. So we're talking about Abraham's level of Amunah, on Abraham's level of Amunah for this asking Hashem, this was a blemish. Okay, for a normal person, this would be no blemish. Okay, just the fact that Hashem is revealing itself to him, this is already something fantastic. So this was, this caused the descent to land of Israel. Now from this, Rabbi Nachman learns that a blemish emunah, a blemish in emunah causes the, ex, that causes the exile from land of Israel. It happened by way in, in, in back in uh, Abraham's time, it happened again. It happened in the first temple. It happened in the second temple. And heaven forbid, heaven forbid, heaven forbid, we're fighting so much for Amunah. What? Our, our war now. Okay, other people, weapons, our war now is Amunah. Amunah, they, they, they're going to, they can't win Eretz Yisrael with, with weapons because they know the, the, the thing I, somebody says that the, the, the government tell us they're going to get rid of terror, get rid of Hamas. <laughs> Every generation, this one, they're born, it's in it's the mother's milk. Can I get rid of that? That's what we're going to do. I'm not going to fight Hamas. I'm not going to chase darkness with a stick. I'm going to get rid of darkness with the light, with the light of Amuna. So the whole thing is Amuna. Let's Amuna, Amuna, Amuna. With Amuna, we will win the land of Israel. And we will come out of our diaspora. And even though there is a state of Israel, it's still diaspora because diaspora means that we don't have our prophets, that we don't have King David. We don't have our anointed king, which is Mashiach. We don't have the Holy Temple. So that, that that's not the land of Israel we're talking about, that the end of exile is not the state of Israel. It's the land of Israel. It's the land of Israel where the law is the Torah, not where some civil law that's based on half British law and half Turkish law and half you know, Ottoman Empire law. No, 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 it's not that. And or or an, an American law, that is not it. That is not it. And that, that's where we, we differentiate. And, and we differentiate with the people that are, you know, that were more patriots than they were. Okay. Because they're the, for, never for throughout history, we say, Hashem, return us to Zion. We say it three times a day, every day, all year long. Hashem, bring us back in mercy to Zion. What does it mean, bring us back in mercy to Zion? That it shouldn't be the result of a pogrom and not a result of an inquisition, not the result of a Holocaust. And what's the thing? This is this is our game plan. If you see, this is if someone wants to change, this is what I live my life by. This is what the, the whole purpose of my life. Did hate my life that we're fighting this war of Amuna. We're spreading Amuna in order for us to have the land of Israel, the closest to Hashem and Amuna. That this is us, and it's okay, and it doesn't matter if a person is outside the land of Israel, because when you need to come to the land of Israel, and it's time for the redemption. The wings of eagles. That's what that's what the, the prophet says with the wings of eagles. Hashem's gonna put everybody on the on his wing of eagle. Okay, wing of eagle doesn't matter what airline. I don't know which airline is a wing of eagle, but it's gonna be there. It's gonna be there. And so this is the opposite process of diaspora and exile, and this is redemption. Okay, so now Rabbi Nachman says, Vidafka Yaakov Banav and particularly Jacob, Abraham's grandson. Abraham himself did not go down to Egypt. Isaac did not go down to Egypt. Isaac could not go down to Egypt because Isaac was holy, had a level of holiness even higher than his father because Isaac was sacrificed on the altar. Even though he got off the altar, he was, for the rest of his life, he was like a sacrifice. He belonged to Hashem, couldn't do anything. So Isaac was not allowed to leave the land of Israel. Abraham went down to Egypt. Uh, Jacob went down to Egypt. Isaac never. Isaac, so we say when a person never left the land of Israel, that he's got the aspect of Isaac. He never left the land of Israel. Isaac never left the land of Israel. So Isaac could not go down to Egypt. But now Jacob, Jacob paid the price. The grandfather, Jacob had to go. Jacob, he spent time in Syria. That's where he got married in Aram. And then he came back and in Eretz Yisrael. And after Joseph got sold, and there was a famine here. Hashem made the famine in order to take everyone down to Egypt. Okay, so this was Abraham's mistake in saying that how does he know this going to inherit the land? Okay, so Jacob and his 12 sons descended to Egypt. 
Why? Rabbi Nachman says something special here. He says, That each tribe, there's 12 gates of prayer and 12 different texts of prayer. And each one corresponds to each one of the tribes. And Hashem wanted to send down all 12 aspects of prayer, texts of prayer to Egypt. Okay, this is a little bit cryptic, but let's understand what why Hashem wanted to do this. Why did Hashem send down, by the way, we have one uniform uh, set of prayer, either that we have an Ashkenazi prayer or a Sephardi prayer or an Oriental Jewish prayer, Eidot HaMizrach, but they're all basically the same thing. We're all basically the same text. In other words, there's no longer 12 different texts. Uh, Rabbi Nachman says, well, Mashiach will come, a person will know what tribe he came from. We nobody knows what particular tribe, unless a person is a Levite. But uh, most of us are descendants of Judah, uh, Judea, because the other the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, they were uh, at the time of San San Sancherib before Nebuchadnezzar. They were exiled before the Babylonian exile, and all was left was Benjamin and Judah, and that was a Judah, the, the kingdom of Israel. After King David, after King Solomon's son, uh, Rehavam, and during his time, there was a civil war and there was bickering. And that's where the kingdom separated into Israel, the 10 northern tribes, and to Judah, which the two southern tribes, Judah, Judah and Benjamin. And so Israel was exiled, destroyed, and then was left with Judah. So most of us, oh, the, the, why we call Jews, because it come from Judah. Okay, but uh, we have uh, Levites, we have Kohanim, and they're descendants of the Levite tribe. But most people don't know what, which tribe they came from. Mashiach will clarify this for us. So then meanwhile, while we're still in diaspora, spiritual diaspora, there's one text of prayer. Rabbi Nachman is talking about in theory, when the 12 tribes are on the land of Israel, that each tribe has its own style of prayer. So Hashem wanted all 12 styles of prayer to go down to Egypt. Why? Rabbi Nachman now answers. Mitzrayim i'efech anisim. Egypt is the exact opposite of miracles. You know that Egypt is the land of witchcraft. And witchcraft, why do they call it alchemy? Like that chemistry. If you met a person that doesn't know chemistry, and bring them into the chemistry lab, and you put two chemicals together and poof, comes out smoke. Oh, he did magic. Look, poof, or, or makes a, a little mini explosion or something like that. Or all of a sudden puts two chemicals together. There's a fire. Look, he made a fire out of nothing. The guy's a magician. He's not a magician. He knows he takes uh, it takes chemical A and chemical B and has a predicted outcome of chemical C. And so that's the same thing with witchcraft. It's like taking chemical A and chemical B. It says, Egypt was full of witchcraft. Egypt was so full of witchcraft, it was the exact opposite of Amuna. Egypt had every deity, more than Carter has little, little liver pills, more than uh, uh, Baskin Robbins has flavors of ice cream. That's how many flavors of, of idolatry Egypt had. It's the exact opposite of Amuna. So, and esoterically, according to Kabbalah, Israel went down to Egypt in order to rescue the sparks that eat salt, the sparks of Amuna that were buried under all this idolatry and to bring them back to the land of Israel. That's the whole purpose. And plus to strengthen us so that we would have the strength in the future. Hashem knew what we would have to go through. This was, okay. even though we got out of Egypt, this was the exodus from Egypt and the first redemption, but there would be other exiles, the Babylonian exile, the Greek exile, and the Roman exile, which is still today, Galut Edom, Hashem knows we had to be strong. So in order to build the strength, this emuna, immunity, to get the immune, immune from emuna, that we could last outside the land of Israel, because Hashem knew that we'd have to be necessarily outside the land of Israel before Mashiach comes, had to go down to Egypt. Go to Egypt to build up our Muna muscles, to build up our spiritual muscles. So all the 12 tribes had to descend to Egypt with all types of prayer because Egypt is the exact opposite of miracles. And this is what uh, the show in Tractate 14 in Exodus alludes to. Mitzrayim nasin likotosh e'en sham makom nisim. 
that there's no place. Nasim, that when Israel, when Egypt chased Israel, the word is Nasim. The word for miracles is Nisim. So Rabbi Nachman says, this is that Egypt chased miracles. It's like they chased them away. There's the, no room for miracles in Egypt. No room for Amunah in Egypt. And Rabbi Nachman, this is like we have all the time in the Holy Tongue, all these plays on words. Rabbi Nachman uses plays on words like a kaleidoscope. Sometimes you can take Rabbi Nachman's words and translate them eight different ways, nine different ways. And that's the, the challenge in learning Rabbi Nachman in a, la, a language outside of the, the Holy Tongue. Egypt is not a place for, uh, for prayer. You're not allowed to pray in a bathroom. You're not allowed to pray in a place with the, the impurity. You're not allowed to pray in a room where there are unclothed people. Where there's impurity, you can't pray there. All of Egypt was impure. So we see in this week's Torah portion, in Bo, and in last week's part, Torah portion, Va'ela, when Pharaoh, all of a sudden, he gave up, he got the white flag, and he wanted Moses to cancel one of the, to, to plead to Hashem to cancel one of the plagues. Uh, Moses said, okay, I'm going to have to leave town. First, I, I want to want me to pray to Hashem. I can't pray here. This is like praying in a toilet. Excuse the expression. He had to go outside the city where there are no statues and no idolatry, and there raise his hands to Hashem because he couldn't pray in the in the presence of idolatry. We're not allowed to pray in the presence of a statue. Not let anything. It's as if person, people that, that keep statues in their house, it's not a good idea. Not a good idea to to pray in front of statues. Okay, even though if there's no intention that they're idolatry, but they, they got to be careful with this. Got to be careful with this. Uh, this is what exactly Rabbi Nachman just said, what, what we said, but it's Beseti Be'il. Moses, Moses had to leave town in order to pray. And so we see, uh, now Rabbi Nachman says, Kol aguluyot mechunim b'shem Mitzrayim. All of the diasporas, all of the exiles are called Egypt. Egypt is the archetype of exile because Egypt is the opposite of Amuna. This is all another play in words. Why is the diaspora called Mitzrayim? To torture, that's Mitzrayim. It's the same exact letters. That because of the, the people, they, they torture the Jews, and that's called Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim. It's the same letters. So the reason Rabbi Nachman says that all the exiles are called Egypt is because they're bringing, uh, they're bringing uh, anguish to the Jewish people. So when a person blemishes Amuna in the land of Israel, he goes into exile. Here she goes into exile. And you can see Sometimes uh, people, they come to Israel and they leave and they're not happy here and they, they think they decide to leave. Now, when you hear, it's not you decide to leave, you decide to stay. It's uh, Hashem decides, the king decides who's going to stay in the palace. Rabbi Nachman now says, Our sages told us in the Gomorrah and Tractate Sanhedrin, page 97, Mashiach ben David ba ela the Gemara tells us that Mashiach won't come until the last cent will be emptied out of a person's pocket. Okay. What does he mean by that? That the Gemara wants to be poor? No. It's a different meaning. Rabbi Nachman explains the meaning of Gemara. That the pruta is the epikursim. That, that when Rabbi Nachman says the last cent, the last cent, he's talking about the uh, atheists. Okay. The atheists, when they don't have any money, that's they have no faith. Because money doesn't worth anything. What, what's our, our most valuable commodity in the world is Amuna. That's the most valuable commodity. So when they don't have anything in their pocket, that is the atheists, that they don't have any Amuna. And that, when, when they will be finished, you're going to look around, and there's no more atheists around, then you could expect to see Mashiach very soon. And this is what, this is Rabbi Nachman's interpretation it's an inner meaning interpretation of the of the Gemara over there in Sanhedrin. Okay. What is that? Especially, what, what does it mean when the atheists don't have emuna? They don't believe in miracles. You can see all this time. Go in the BBC, and the BBC will say, "Oh, now there's been this 
scientific examination that at the time where the Jews say that the Red Sea was split, there was a high tide and a low tide, and the Jews crossed the Red Sea at the time of low tide. Come on. This is the epitome of epicursus of atheism. When they try, Rabbi Nachman explains, when a person tries to take a miracle and explain it in natural terms, no, it's not a miracle. This is a natural course of events. No, it's, it's nothing. And what they try to do is cover up the miracles. They try to put cold water on people's faith. You tell somebody I had a miracle. And, but, you know, the doctor said that the person wasn't going to get better and he got better and come along. No, all of a sudden the weather turned good and maybe you ate something that was good for you. you had some special nutrient, something happened to you and tried to convince a person that he did not have a miracle. Or convince a person, a person all of a sudden, oh, wow, I was expecting to pay this $100,000 to the to the IRS. And all of a sudden, they got a tax return. Oh, maybe the accountant made a mistake at this and that. Take an exact miracle and turning it around. Or else a person, they thought that uh, this person is going to go to jail. No way he's going to win the court. And all of a sudden, his lawyer who stutters, can't even talk properly, goes into court. And the lawyer stutters. And he makes a mistake. And the judge understands him the exact opposite. And the guy gets off free. The lawyer wanted to say the exact opposite. and and But the judge understood the opposite because the judge understood the opposite. The guy goes free. And then people, oh, well, anything was good. No, no miracle. It's all above nature. And comes along the atheists. And that's what they do. That's, that's CNN, the New York Times. But they try and take and they deny miracles and they deny Torah. And they say, oh, this is weird. That the, the, the Jews really didn't cross the Red Sea here. They crossed somewhere else. And the, the 40 years, not really 40 years, and all types of garbage. Can't describe it any other way. All of it, and any minute garbage. Excuse me for not such popular, not such nice speech, but garbage. And that's why a person should not waste his or her time reading those websites. Because you take a person, an analysis that has as an epicursus, an atheist. And what that atheist writes, Rabbi Nachman will soon teach us, if a person learns what they do, it's like when you accept advice from a person or you accept an idea from a person or you internalize an idea from a person, Rabbi Nachman says that's like marriage. That's like marriage because what happens in the marital union when one partner internalizes a gift from another partner? So just like it's a marriage, this is that marriage. And Rabbi Nachman, it brings this, it brings proof from the Torah, from Genesis. So when a person brings these foreign ideas into the head, you work so hard in Amunah, so hard in Amunah, so hard in Amunah, and all of a sudden with one double whammy and reading some atheistic news site or atheistic newspaper and bringing those ideas in, heaven forbid, heaven forbid, just imagine that Amunah is like a fine glass chandelier. It takes the glazier three years to build this fine chandelier. And boom, he's careless. And one knock on the, on the work table with his elbow, and it falls on the floor in smithereens. That's our amuna. We have to guard our amuna. We have to take care of ourselves. Okay. So Rabbi Nachman continues. And Rabbi Nachman says that, like I said, Mashiach won't come until that... Uh, uh, until we won't see, we won't see the atheists around, okay? Because the atheists they try and cover up the the miracles, and the miracles happen in the land of Israel, because the land of Israel the drinks first. Hashem gives us imagine that the land of Israel is a princess. The prince eats a little bit. Hashem sends the rain to the world, the water to the world, everything for the land of Israel. Land of Israel takes a little bit, and then the rest of the world gets its sustenance by virtue of the land of Israel. Now, if the United Nations and the people of the world understood this, they, they would they'd completely their their attitude toward Israel would be completely different. But since they have this anti-Amuna attitude, uh, this is why now you can understand why Israel is despised, because we come and we stand for Amuna. And so Rabbi Nachman now quotes Psalm 42, and he says, To home el to home kore, kiesh nisim ilain. That there are two types of uh, there are two types of 
miracles, the upper miracles and lower miracles. It takes explanation itself. We're going to hold up right here. God willing, we will continue next week with Torah 7. It'll probably take us three, maybe four weeks to learn it. But Baruch Hashem, I, this is so important. These principles of Emuna, and this is what the whole ballgame is about. Because Rebbe Nachman, this is not parlor ideas, parlor Torah, where we could quote at the cocktail party, uh, these nice philosophical ideas. These are ideas that we have to take in our heart to bring us closer to Hashem. And this is spiritual money in the bank. So with that, Hashem should strengthen us all in Amuna. We should all merit to get closer to Hashem. And everybody should have a lovely Shabbat. And we look forward to seeing you next week.